Well, good morning and welcome back here to our series, uh, our series called Collide. And it's a series focused on some of the things we're facing in culture here today. Some of the things as Christians we are kind of colliding with. Because you see in a, in a culture and a country that, you know, acknowledges God without truly seeking Him, impact is inevitable. And yet we are called, aren't we as Christians, to collide with our culture in ways that bring healing and not hurt. And so we began looking at different subject matter. Last week we took a look at truth. This week we're going to take a look at something else, something else that is very esteemed in our culture. It really is. And without question, you've seen it on bumper stickers. You've heard it on the news. You probably witnessed it as you walked the streets of downtown Cincinnati. And it's even being promoted on our latest television commercials. It's hard to escape because it's everywhere. In fact, some people would even tell you it's like oxygen. You need it in order to breathe. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about tolerance. Tolerance. And here's the challenge I want to make uh, today for everyone here. I want to encourage you to hang there with me all the way from the beginning, all the way to the end, that you can understand kind of the progression of this word, what it's meant over time. And then I think there's a lesson for all of us here. All of us at the end. Because you see, I think Christians as a whole, uh, throughout the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we've been missing the mark. And I want to talk about that. So hang on to the very end. Because tolerance is esteemed, right? In fact, I was just out here. um, I forget where I even was. But I was talking to this guy. I didn't know him. And he told me in the midst of the conversation, he said, you know, I try to be a very tolerant person, is what he said to me. As I talk to him more and as I've talked to other people more who really embrace this word called tolerance, you'll come to see eventually that you'll talk to somebody and they'll say, well, I embrace tolerance merely because Jesus modeled tolerance for me. Jesus was a tolerant person. And what they'll look to, for example, is something that Jesus said. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge or you too will be judged. And so in the minds of some, they look at that and they say, okay, I'm not to judge you for how you live. You're not to judge me for how I live. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. And even if it's quite different from each other, we'll just tolerate one another. We'll show tolerance. And some people would say, well, that's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, he tolerated all kinds of people and took a bunch of flack for it when he lived here on this earth, right? I mean, Jesus tolerated even the very people who sold themselves on the street. Jesus, didn't he? Didn't he tolerate the very people who put him on the cross? Jesus' tolerance. They're one and the same, right? Well, it would seem so, especially if you just look at the one thing that Christ said. But some people would tell you as well, you know what, you've got to take a look at the entire Bible, and it seems like it's there as well. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's writing, and he's talking about this group of people who are doing wrong in the eyes of God. And yet he says, despite the wrongdoing of men, in his, meaning God's, forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And so God saw, because God can see what's truly right and wrong, He saw that they were doing wrong and yet chose to kind of tolerate their sin, not do anything about it. Then, of course, you find in the Old Testament, 
says the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And once again, a God, of course, who is slow to anger and who is abounding in love seems like a very tolerant God. In fact, some look at this, they say, you know what, God was so tolerant at times, it even caused trouble for people because of his level of tolerance. In fact, in the Old Testament, we find Habakkuk kind of screaming at God, saying, why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I mean, God seems pretty tolerant. In fact, so tolerant. He was causing problems by not stepping in and not doing anything. That's how tolerant he was. That's what it seems like anyway. But you know what? Uh, People who embrace tolerance today would say, well, that's not how it works any longer. I mean, God's tolerance caused bad things or things to go wrong, it seems. But tolerance today, well, it always works out for the good. Tolerance always brings about good things. And if that's so, then we need to understand what tolerance is. And as we talk about this this morning, I just want to credit Chip Ingram once again. Again, just an incredible writer on a variety of different subjects, but I just, I'm thankful for him. Because you see, over time, when I first saw that tolerance bumper sticker about 15 years ago, and tolerance began to emerge more in our society, I began to wonder, like, what is this? And what I've come to learn is that tolerance, what tolerance means It's kind of like science, some would say. It's kind of gone through evolution. It's morphed over time, some would say. Tolerance actually started out this way. You could define it in the following manner. To bear without repugnance, to allow intellectually or in taste, sentiment or principle to put up with. To put up with. This is exactly what Voltaire had in mind uh, when he stated this. He says, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Take a look at that. I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And this view of tolerance is actually a really good thing. It's a good thing. This is what tolerance was meant to be. In fact, if this is what tolerance meant today, we wouldn't even really be talking about it. We wouldn't. Because this idea, of course, is based on four assumptions, that truth exists, and it's our responsibility to pursue it. And secondly, though, that others might very well disagree with us, then that leads to the third point. If that's the case, then the best course of action is to engage them in conversation, learn more about them and where they stand, why they view things as they do. And even if after that discussion you still kind of disagree with each other, Well, then you promote the other person's right to say what they're saying, even perhaps to your dying breath. In our country, we've called that free speech. But have you noticed something? Have you noticed something? This view of tolerance no longer is respected by many people in our culture today. We've been on a slippery slope for some time now. And because of this, we slowly move from this idea that I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it, And it's morphed to this. I disapprove of what you say, and you disapprove of what I say, but that's okay because both views are true. Both views are true. You have your truth, I have my truth. But the result of this is very different than the first form of tolerance, what it was meant to be. It means that I'm not going to promote your view or even your right to say it. I'll just let you believe what you believe, and I'm going to leave you alone. Okay? It's very, very 
different. In fact, this form of tolerance began to emerge in our country, and it slowly became the new standard by which we all were to live. And that's why the former definition was kind of set aside and replaced with something like this. The accepting of the differing views of other people in religious or political matters and fairness toward the people who hold these different different views. Now, I want you to notice what this does not say. It doesn't say the acceptance that differing views exist because, hey, I think we can all know that there's different views out there. And if we're going to be honest and if we're going to be humble... It's probably going to help us to explore, you know, what, where, where people are coming from in this. And that's actually a good thing. It helps me to kind of end up knowing where I stand and why I stand there. But that's not what it's saying. Rather, it says the accepting of the differing views of other people and fairness towards the people who hold these differing views. And that's quite a difference. What that means, friends, is it basically means that you and I are to accept the differing views of other people and place their views at the same level of views that we hold to be true. And that's called moral relativism. Moral relativism. We talked a bit about that last week. And again, the result of that is you have your truth, I have my truth, everyone's right, so everyone wins. So consequently, when I say I'm a very tolerant person, it no longer means that I easily accept the idea that someone's going to differ on me on on any given subject. Now it means that I believe that any other view that differs from mine is just as valid as mine and that there's no one view that can ever really claim truth. Hmm. Is this form of tolerance everything is cracked up to be? You've got to wonder, can cold water also be hot? Can a cat be a dog. And it leads to the law of non-contradiction. This is the law, friends. The law of non-contradiction. It states this, if two people have different or opposing views, one or both can be wrong, but both cannot be right. Let me say that again. If two people have differing views, one or both can be wrong, but both cannot be right. It's called a law. And yet it seems our culture is above the law. And you have to wonder, can that really work? All rise for the bride. gathered here today to join this man and this woman in matrimony. You may be seated. Bob, will you have this woman to be your wife, to live with her in the covenant of marriage? Will you tolerate her, put up with her, and not judge any of her views as she does not judge yours, and keep her in sickness and in health, however you choose to define those terms? And forsaking all others, unless you believe it appropriate to pursue additional partners, which, Stephanie, you are to put up with in the name of tolerance. 
Bob, will you be faithful to these vows for as long as you both shall live or for as long as you both can tolerate one another? I will. All right. Good. Good. Stephanie, will you have this man to be your husband, to live with him in the covenant of marriage? Will you tolerate him, put up with him, and not judge any of his views as he does not judge yours? And keep him in sickness and in health, however you choose to define those terms, and forsaking all others, unless you believe it appropriate to pursue additional partners, which, Bob, you are to put up with as well, in the name of tolerance. Stephanie, will you be faithful to these vows for as long as you both shall live, or for as long as you both can tolerate each other? Do you? Stephanie, will you? And I'm making a point here. And the point I want you to see is this. I mean, what what if Stephanie doesn't want her future husband pursuing additional partners? If everyone's view is true, then who is she to judge him? Is, Is he wrong? Is she wrong? Or is she merely being an intolerant person? Believe me, I do this for a living. I deal with couples all the time. It's amazing the things that you see. And then think about this. What if Stephanie doesn't want to be tolerated by Bob? What if she wants to be loved by Bob? Is she right to hold that view? Or perhaps he's already agreed to it. Is she wrong? And is she once again being an intolerant person? I don't think they're ready to get married right now. So we're going to send them off. And we're going to discuss this some more. Thank them. Again, I'm making this point because it's so important. It's so important that we understand the difference between tolerance and love. Love. We as Christians are called to love. Tolerance is this idea that I'll put up with you. I will. I'll kind of let you exist. I'll let you do what you're doing. I'll let you think how you think. I will. But, and let's be honest, it means that I am not going to care for you enough to step into your life, ask you any questions, and say, you know what, have you really thought through this? I mean, have you you really thought where this might take you? I mean, this could hurt you or hurt other people. No, 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 we're not going to do that because you're right, I'm right, everyone wins. I'm not to judge you, and so I'm just going to stay out of it and let you kind of live your life and do your thing. Tolerance, it sounds so good, but it's not really all that caring. And then you got love. Love is the idea that says, you know what, I'm going to be your friend. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And because I love you, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you first. And if I see, perhaps, that you're going to do something wrong or could be doing something wrong that might hurt you, well, then because I love you, I'm going to step into your life. I'm going to ask you, have you thought about this? Really? I mean, I'm concerned for you. Believe me, I might be hearing things wrong. I might even be wrong about what I'm saying right now. But I just want you to know that I love you. I'm here for you. But I want you to think through this. Will you think through this? See, love, friends, is not just blindly accepting whatever somebody does. That's what some people, that's how some people define it. If you're a parent, of course, you love your children. But you're also going to step in and say, you know what? That's that's not going to be good if you keep doing that. 
That's love, truly caring for the other person. There is a huge difference between tolerance and love. And the truth is this, the problem that's emerged now with this form of tolerance, it's a problem because, you know what, you cannot have people who are both right at the same time. It sounds great to say that, but eventually the two different views espoused by two different people are going to collide. And then what do you do? How do you respond? What does that look like? Well, the result is many times we compromise. We compromise. And this is how compromise works in a tolerant culture. People say they're against something, and they'll say, well, I think that's wrong. I, I think that's not a good thing. But they'll refuse to call it wrong for all situations and for all people. They will. It kind of looks like this. You know, while I'm against slandering somebody, I think it's wrong to slander somebody. I mean, it might be helpful for you. I mean, who am I to say? Okay? It's working for some of our presidential contenders right now. It's getting them a lot of attention. And while I'm against adultery, I mean, who am I to, to step in? I know what you're doing, but who am I to cut? It's your marriage. It's, it's not mine. I mean, live and let live. Or while I'm against lying, it might benefit you and your relationships. Maybe it's helping you to make good sales and make good money. I mean, who am I to say? And this is not a new mindset. This has actually been around for a very long time, but it's kind of reemerging once again. I want you to think about President Lincoln. He's heralded as one of our greatest presidents of all time, mostly due to his stance on slavery. Now, in the Old Testament, Exodus 21, and in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 1, you find the idea of, you know, somebody who slave trades, somebody who steals somebody and then takes them and then sells them. I mean, this is a horrible sin in the Bible. In fact, the Old Testament says such a person should be put to death. It's very, very clear. One of the greatest frustrations at the time that Lincoln was having was that many people would refuse to call slavery. They would say it's wrong, but they refused to call it wrong in all situations. And so what did they do? They embraced compromise when moral clarity was actually needed. And in response to these many people who all had their ways and, and reasons for compromising, Lincoln wrote these words. I'm going to read them slowly, and I want you to take these in. They're profound. But those who say they hate slavery and are opposed to it, where are they? Let us apply a few tests. You say that you think slavery is wrong, but you denounce all attempts to restrain it. Is there anything else you think wrong that you are not willing to deal with as a wrong? Why are you so careful, so tender of this wrong and no other? You will not let us do a single thing as if it was wrong. There's no place where you will allow it to be even called wrong. We must not call it wrong in the free states because it is not there. We must not call it wrong in the slave states because it is there. We must not call it wrong in politics because that is bringing morality into politics. And we must not call it wrong in the pulpit because that is bringing politics into religion. And there is no single place, according to you, where a wrong thing can be called a wrong thing powerful. So what do you do then? What do you do when the masses desire to avoid confrontation by letting everyone live and let live? Well, you got to redefine tolerance once again, because after all, I mean, everyone has to come and they look themselves in the mirror and they say, you know what, I'm saying one thing, but I'm refusing to act upon it. And so that puts a person in a place where they feel like they don't have any integrity. And so then a new solution has to be found. 
A solution that makes me look good in all situations and makes you look bad if you disagree with me. And so where once tolerance meant I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And then morph to mean I disapprove of what you say and you disapprove of what I say, but that's okay because both views are true. Now tolerance means I disapprove of what you say, and if you disapprove of what I say, you are intolerant. One researcher stated it this way. They said, our idea is that to be a virtuous citizen is to be one who tolerates everything except intolerance. And what is intolerance? Well, intolerance is no longer a refusal to allow contrary opinions to say their piece in public. But is any questioning or contradicting of the view that all opinions are equal in value, that all worldviews have equal worth, that all stances are equally valid? And that doesn't go over so well any longer. And when I think about where things stand, I can't help but think of a golf club. You know, a golf club. It was a golf club uh, that had made him a multimillionaire and a a celebrity. But it was the Friday after Thanksgiving, however, when his wife chased him out their home with none other than a golf club. He'd been exposed as a serial cheater. And ever since that day, Tiger's game, Tiger's name, Tiger's fame has never been the same. And shortly after that event occurred, there was a news correspondent who was asked, you know, on live TV, you know, what advice he would give to Tiger Woods in this incredible situation. And here's what he said. He said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. My message to Tiger would be, Tiger, turn to the Christian faith and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Now, a decade before this, uh, Brett would not have, you know, encountered anybody kind of putting him down. I mean, people would have said, well, that's his truth. He's free to say that. But no longer, no longer. It didn't take very long for all the criticism to come pouring in. In fact, one TV critic after another, one from the Washington Globe, said the remark will probably rank as one of the most ridiculous of the year. Another critic claimed that Hume tried to threaten Tiger Woods into becoming a Christian. And the negative feedback went on and on. Within 24 hours, a host of experts and commentators began to preach their view of tolerance to the nation. While they declared that their views were unquestionably correct, they judged Brett Hume to be intolerant, a nutcase of sorts. Whatever happened to, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Those were great days. Or whatever happened to, I disapprove of what you say, and you disapprove of what I say, but that's okay, because both views are true. Those days were not quite so good, but still palatable to some degree. Back then, Brett Hume would not have received the kind of response that he did, but not any longer. See, we now live in a world, friends. We now live in a country that tells the Christian, and let's lay it out there honestly, these words are only said to Christians, that I disapprove of what you say, and if you disapprove of what I say, you are intolerant. In fact, many people would say that Christians deserve to be treated this way because they no longer represent the very Jesus who is so loving, so good, and so tolerant. Well, Jesus is loving, and he is good. But when it comes to tolerance, even Christ had a limit on his level of tolerance. 
The Bible tells us in the past God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. And we're talking here about Christ. And friends, the idea that God sent his own son named Jesus Christ to die for all mankind on a cross for us, for all of us, it makes God more than just tolerant. It makes him loving and it makes him good. See, rather than just putting up with our behavior for a long season and then judging us harshly after we die, he demonstrated quite convincingly that he wanted us to be his sons and his daughters. He went to great lengths to send his son who died. Jesus Christ, this one who carried all truth to pay the price of sin for us. And that's why when we take a look at Jesus, we've got to take a look at the totality of Christ. Think about this, friends. Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the entire Bible. That doesn't seem very tolerant. Or Jesus insisted that he is the only way to the Father, no one else but him, and that doesn't seem very tolerant. And Jesus also told the world that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will. Again, there is truth we are to live by of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, at its heart, the form of tolerance that exists now today is anything but tolerant. It's judgmental, it's demeaning and unforgiving. But it's also here that we as Christians have got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest. If we go back in time, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, our country once had a different kind of moral climate to it. A climate where what Christians believed was kind of exalted, if you will. And in that day, in that age, in that long season that existed, if people disagreed with us, well, how did we respond? We responded, many Christians did, by holding up signs against people. We responded by yelling and shouting in their face. We responded by judging them without even knowing them. And instead of showing them love, instead of saying, you know what, you differ from me, but I'm going to die for your right to say it. We said, oh, when you die, you're going to hell. And we, as Christians across this country, were very intolerant. And time marched on and the tables turned. And now we are becoming the recipients of our own behavior. And we've got to be honest about that. A friend of mine wrote me this week, and he said this, I look at the direction the world is going and believe strongly that the most effective change will come from churches repenting from their sleepy haze, me included, as opposed to sleepy yet politically charged churches telling the world to clean up its act. I suppose there is a balance, but if I had to place my trust in one or the other changing our world, it would be a repentant church. And I think each one of us, we got to get gut level honest when it comes to this. Have we been asleep at the wheel? Have we either sat on the sidelines while people we say that we love were doing things that we know would harm them eventually and just not said anything? 
Or in anger, have we responded to people by judging them and treating them disrespectfully? Friends, we are called to love. And no, love doesn't mean you just blindly accept anything that happens in somebody's life. No, but it means that you love them enough to step into their life, ask questions, get to know them, and and ask them if they really thought through these things. We are to love people, not tolerate people. The tolerance, friends, that exists today is so far removed from the tolerance that once was. And if you don't believe me, if you don't want to buy what I'm selling here this morning because you're saying, you know what, I'm in church and you're a pastor and you're supposed to say those kinds of things. If you won't listen to me, then perhaps you'll listen to an atheist. Not just any atheist, a pen and teller, a magician's, um, He's been on The Apprentice. Uh, you've seen him. He's he got shows in Vegas if he happened to go there. A very popular uh, person he is. And, and the reality is, while he doesn't recognize that there's a God, he can still recognize truth, since all truth is God's truth. So if you don't listen to me, listen now to an atheist as he takes a look at the word tolerance as it exists today. Let's watch. What we call tolerance nowadays... Uh, maybe always. I'm always uh, skeptical of the nowadays thing. I don't think things get uh, get that much different. Um, what we call tolerance is often just condescending. It's often just saying, okay, you, you believe what you want to believe. That's fine with me. I think true respect is one of the reasons I get along so much better with fundamentalist Christians than I do with um, with liberal Christians, because fundamentalist Christians, I can look them in the eye and say, you are wrong. They also know that uh, I will always fight for their right to say that, and I will, uh, I will celebrate their right to say that, but I will look them in the eye and say, you're wrong, and fundamentalists will look me in the eye and say, you're wrong, and that to me is respect. The more liberal religious people who go, there are many paths to truth, you just go on and maybe you'll find your way, is the way you talk to a child. And I, and I bristle at that. So I do very well with proselytizing hardcore fundamentalists. And at a very deep level, I respect them. And at a very deep level, I think I, um, I, uh, I share a big part of their heart. I think in a certain sense... Uh, uh, I'm a preacher. My heart, my heart is there. So how are we as Christians to respond in a tolerant world? Well, Jesus told us, listen to his words. He said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. It's powerful. What does it mean to be a shrewd? Like a snake in this culture, it means to be wise to the ways of our culture. To understand how our culture thinks, how it operates, how it talks, how it lives out. We need to be shrewd like snakes, Jesus says, which means you've got to be wise to things. Don't be sleepy. Don't turn away. Be wise to the ways of the culture you're living in, living in which is why we're doing this series. But we also need to be innocent like doves. Who does that mean? that we love people. We love them enough that when we see them and they're, you know, they do different things than we do, we love them enough to first start by asking questions. Who are you? Tell me about your life. 
We find out that, well, so why is it you believe the way you do? Tell me where you get that from. Help me to understand you. It shows respect. It shows that we love them and we treat them like human beings, not people we're trying to dominate. And then once we learn more about them, if we hear anything that would be, you know, different than what God's truth would say in the Bible, well, then we respond to them, as Paul says, with grace and truth. Not just truth, ramrodding it down somebody's throat, but we we respond with grace and truth. As you build a conversation, as you build a relationship, eventually win the right to, to say some things. We're to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Friends, we live in a tolerant world. But what this world needs is not tolerance. It needs love. So when you go out in the world, you don't say, I'm a tolerant person. No, I'm a loving person. Christ calls me to love. That's why Christ hung out with prostitutes. That's why he hung out with people who many people despised. He loved them. He wasn't going to these parties saying, oh, I guess I'll go. I just won't say anything. I just kind of live with them and exist with them. No, they became his friends because he loved them. So how many people that have opposing views to yours do you claim as friends in your life? We need to start widening our circles, friends. Jesus did. Let's not tolerate people. Let's love them with his grace and his truth. And when we do that, this world will change. Will you pray with me, dear Father? We thank you that you don't tolerate us, you love us. Despite who we are, despite what we think, despite what we've done, despite even what we're going to do, you love us. You sent your son for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And it's astounding. It's astounding. So God, as we prepare to go out into this world, Lord, you know our hearts. You know my heart. And you know there's been times in my own life when I've responded to people in ways that weren't helpful. Because I wanted to show them truth, not grace and Forgive us, God. Forgive us either for being a sleepy people who just let people do whatever they're doing and whatever happens to them happens to them. That is not loving. That is not caring. Forgive us, God. And forgive us as well for stepping into the lives of people and ramrodding our truth down somebody's throat because they, they can't even hear us and they certainly can't hear you through all the fog. Us to represent you, Jesus, beautifully. And yes, we live in a culture that's different from how your word says it's to be. It's different from how many of us believe and how we want to live truth out in this world. But God, help us to love people. Help us to love them intently, purpose, passion, and win the right to speak your truth to them, God. Not our prideful arrogance, but your grace and your truth. So Lord, speak to us right now. May we be humble now before you. Speak 
your truth to us in our hearts.